Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we'll focus on a particular movie, we're going to review it, talk about it and some of the ideas and themes that it throws up from our viewing. And as always we'll end with our recommendations for films to watch following this week's film. Um, the links can be close or as tenuous as, as we feel. But before we get into that, who are we and why should you care what we think? Well, my colleague on the podcast is Sam Knowles. He is a published author and lecturer on all things to do with words and stories. He's written about books and movies and comic books and graphic novels and sport for quite a while on one podcast, on one blog. Uh, basically, he, he is the smart one in the room, bringing the culture. I, on the other hand, uh, am bringing the technical knowledge. I've spent the last 10 years working in the British film industry working on all sorts of productions from little and no budget horror films no one's ever heard of, all the way up to Oscar-winning uh, Hollywood productions. These days I ply my trade as a photographer and a reviewer of films here and on various websites. Great. So this week, Rob, it was your turn. It was. And my choice for this week was the 2012 film Beasts of the Southern Wild. Now don't worry if you haven't heard of this film, it wasn't a massively well-known film. It did get nominated for four Oscars in its time, but it wasn't It wasn't like a box office smash, shall we say. It's from first-time director Ben Zietlin, first-time writer Lucy Alibar, starring two first-time actors uh, who are called Dwight Henry and Kwavanjani Wallace. I've been practising that name, if you haven't guessed. And it tells the story of Hush Puppy. Hush Puppy is a six-year-old girl living in something called the bay, the, the bathtub, which is a, a, a bayou community near Orleans, and it's extreme poverty of their lives, but at the same time it's intermixed with this fantastical, surreal images and stories they tell each other. It's, they have their own language, their own traditions, their own world, and it's very contemplative and almost non-narrative the film is well it does have a narrative to it mm. so that's probably a the best kind of coverage i can give in it before i uh in the area of spoilers sam yes your thoughts um i really really like this film um good i said last week that this is one that i was annoyed at having missed at the time um, so I was pleased that we'd got to watch it for this podcast. Um, and I really like it. I, um, Well, I've, I've talked before about um, my liking for films in well, films and books and lots of other things in which um, not a lot happens, but it's very beautifully written or shot um, or edited. And I like the way that everything fits together about this film, and it's a very circular film, not in a, I suppose, a cliched way in that sort of the, there are the same lines at the end as there are at the beginning sort of thing, necessarily, but there is there is a circularity about um, Hush Puppy's view of reality in the bathtub, and it's very pleasing. Also, I felt this film was a particularly faithful um, rendition of childhood of the attitude of a child to the world around her or him um, 
in in this case hush hush puppies female but this idea of gender is something we'll talk about later but her her father wink is very um he's very gender neutral in the way that he behaves towards hush puppy and the mm. language he uses is to her um so it's not necessarily this is not necessarily a, a vision of a little girl's view of the world so much as a, as a small person's view of the world and i think it was it was all the better for that um i like i like the way the the sound but the i often pick up on the sound in films the music that's used in films and the the way that heartbeats are used throughout this film um even right, right at the very beginning, um, enjoy the way that what Hush Puppy hears is what we hear with the sound of the pig's heartbeat at the beginning. And there was some, some useful, useful in terms of thinking about um, juxtaposition of of poverty and and the riches that you see when you look over the levee. Um, in that sort of establishing shot, and you get Wink's um, voiceover, and he he speaks to Hush Puppy about, wouldn't it be awful to live live here or live live there or words to that effect? When when he's looking looking over at the city, he he calls it the ugly city, um, mm. and I I like that. Um, I also I also like how. Um, there was there was a lot from Hush Puppy about um, at the beginning about how happy she was, um, yeah. And it didn't poverty didn't matter and squalid conditions what would be called squalid conditions didn't matter because she had free range food and there were they were free range children that's something that she says would mm. won't say in so many words but she makes it clear at the very beginning about how. Um, it's good that kids can run around and have fun rather than being being put in cages uh, at the beginning of their lives. Um, and I, I liked all that, how she was just effortlessly happy at the beginning. Um, and that's something that changes in the film, but not irreversibly at all. Um, she suffers in, in certain ways throughout the film and she, and she gets particularly sad at, at at certain points, and the relationship with with her father brings that out. But she's her her world view is not not necessarily disrupted by the end. She still sees the bathtub as the place to be. Ashpapi presents the symbiosis, the relationship between um, man and nature. I I would echo almost everything of what you said there. I mean, I obviously picked it. I I first saw this film when it first came out, and was really kind of. I, w- I wouldn't say I was blown away by it, but I was certainly intrigued mm. by it, and it was certainly a a filmic experience. Which I've, which I've talked about on this, it, that it isn't yeah. about a narrative or a character's arc; it's about experience, a visual one. I think that visually, which is where a lot of my passion for films come from, it was very interesting. There was lots of what you'd almost term non-hero shots, kind of the wandering camera capturing bits of this world, and great work mm. was done to set up kind of the mise-en-scene of the world and, and the life that Hush Puppy and Wink live. From my point of view of the film, I very much kind of take it as 
yeah. Hush Puppy is telling the story that we see. So everything is told from her point of view. So there's a running theme through the through the the um film of these giant prehistoric boars coming back mm. to reclaim the land. Um and it leads to a very powerful moment later on. But that to me very much felt like the yes. story a parent tells their kids about the wind, about the wither. And lots of things in this film felt like we were seeing the literal mm. child's interpretation of what their parents say. And everything felt like mm. this is what the child is seeing. And I think that it's very hard to see this film without bringing um, mm. what's it called? Uh, Hurricane Katrina into it a little bit. It deals with Orleans and levees breaking and weather and flooding. And there's a lot of that about it. Obviously, these guys live outside the levees and are kind of impacted worse by the um, impacts of the storm or the bores as it's portrayed in the film. I thought visually it was amazing, kind of the mixture mm. of, as I said, the reality and the surreality. Um, even early on with very small stuff, um, you've got a scene where, where there's a fire mm. and she hides inside a a box and she uses that box to kind of paint on like like, like yeah. walls in, in, in a cave. And from the outside, that box is very small. There's no way she could fit in there and have mm. the view, but you just buy into it as a film. I think the plaudits went to, to the actors. Both the actors had never acted before, both main actors, Wink and Hush Puppy, never acted before. And I think there's a great debt owed to those two. They carry the film in a way and their naturalistic talent mm. for acting certainly shines in this film. I think that... I, I, I genuinely can't work out if this is a strength coming into the film. It feels very allegorical but yes. isn't clear on what its allegories are. It's one of those films that if you feel like, well, this is this is the text, but it's clearly a subtext. There's a second story it's trying to tell here. But it, I, I feel it's purposely yes. ambiguous of what that second story is. Because it leaves you thinking, what what is that about? And there's things that, as I said, look at Katrina, and there's things you're like, well, is it a meditation on Katrina? Is it about Katrina? Is it about childhood? Is it about this? Is it about that? And I think that it feels purposeful. I would would echo that, and when you said um, you described the Oroxes and talked about it as a metaphor for the storm, we talk about it in terms of the storm. I had a moment where I thought, "Oh, I didn't see it like that at all." And I think actually, it will often it will often be the case that there will be an allegorical reading, and if I miss it, I feel stupid for having missed it. But I don't feel stupid for having missed that because I think you're right. There's something. That, purposefully vague about this film and it is open to interpretation in a way that in in other films it's sort of th there's an interpretation that you're meant to see and you're meant to feel that if you miss it well you've missed something about the film I, I say, i've seen this film twice now and i didn't get mm. that allegory or that, that possible allegory this until this time first time i saw it i didn't pick up on any of that and i i, I say i'm still not sure if i'm picking up on it or i'm predicting it you know i mean Famously, um, Salvador Dali made a film called Le Chien Andalou, which is the birth of the Surrealist movement. And it's purposefully 
allegorical but nonsensical. Mm. There isn't a meaning behind it. And he released it along the idea that here's a film and it's infamous for it having a scene where someone gets their eyes slit open. But the rest of the film has, it is completely non-linear, non-narrative. And people at the time were outcrying that he was talking about child abuse in the church. He was talking about feminism. And people were like, well, he's like, well, no. That's what you're seeing in it, and which is what that's what you're, mm. you're seeing because it's of you rather than because of the film. And this felt very similar. That any kind of allegory that I was going to put on this film was one I was bringing with me. Right. Rather see, than I didn't, one that the film was giving me. I didn't me, see any of that to do with the storm. And I saw that the film and the circular structure and the way it was edited is was itself a metaphor for what it's like to be a child. Missing things and reading things in a certain way and mm. having a very pure attitude to the world around you. Pure in the sense of not not sullied by other things, by other interpretations sort of naive and, and and childlike not not childish but childlike attitude to the world it's interesting that he's, he's a, and actually there was a um, I think it was an IMDB review of it or some other um, synopsis of it somewhere that said that that, um, that Wink's illness was tied to the decay of the world around him and I didn't get that at all no but but then may, maybe as you say this is this is something that that I bring to the film and this is interpretation that I just bring to it. Yeah, I, I think I would I would stick with that. I mean, I, I do think for me, as you said, the overriding sort of theme of the film or topic to kind of talk about this week would be childhood. And the film does some interesting things with childhood, and I think that that's worth exploring. And as you said, I, from my point, of view, I I can see a lot of the film as the POV of the child and it's noticeable that there are a couple of scenes that where the child isn't where where, where Hush Puppy isn't there but there aren't many mostly it's told from her point of view and some of uh, and some of the sort of the, the surreal things like the fact that the, his boat's basically a car mm. um, and her interactions with the animals in the world including the aurochs and things like that it very much felt like her child and I think as audience members and as a camera it felt childlike a lot of it was shot from quite low levels there's very few sort of high and wide shots Mm. it felt playful and the camera wandered and the especially the adults sort of seemed to be a childish view of the adults that they just seemed to swing wildly from being loving to angry to back again Mm. they didn't seem to have a lot of kind of logical thought processes which as a child obviously you don't get mm. um, and I think that there's you know the, the bathtub itself the name the bathtub feels like something as a kid you'd call where you live rather than what it's actually called mm. um, and there's a great bit I think where, where the, Wink is telling the story of um, when he met the mother mm. And he says, you know, we always get lazy. We'd always be lazy and we kind of lie in the sun. And one day I was so lazy I fell asleep. And you're like, he clearly doesn't mean lazy. Yeah. He's clearly talking about, I imagine, drunk or high or something like that. But there's all these things where you're like, that's clearly him just saying. And one of the notable things early on is that they have two houses. You have Wink's house and Huppuppy's house. Mm. And for me, when thinking about childhood... 
I kind of thought back to growing up as a child myself that there was my house that I grew up in, but at a certain point now I look back and there was also my parents' house. Mm. It was the same physical location, but there's this kind of separation of what's theirs and what's mine. And this idea that as a kid and a parent, you have different houses. Obviously, in the real world, they are one place. But there are different experiences of that house, and that was repeated here in those two two buildings they separated. Yes, yeah. It's an, another thing about that separation of the houses is you get a glimpse of how selfish a six-year-old child is, mm. and that's not a, a value judgment. That's just a statement of fact. Children are selfish in the in the very real sense of things being about themselves. Because that's something you learn as you get older. You learn the perspective of other people, and that's something we're saying about um, about this film, the presentation of this film. Um, mm. But Hush Puppy is very she she's very wrapped up in in herself, and she doesn't. And you you come to understand later that there was only really one house, the only decent house structurally was Hush Puppies. Mm. And the father was living in a shack made up of the boat and then some tarpaulins and scaffolding and it it's basically he he's living living in the shelter and she is living in the house, but she doesn't see that she sees no. that she's got a separate dwelling, and she thinks, well, this is mine to do with those I see fit, you know what well, I'm going to burn it down because I'm angry at my dad mm. um and you you think later, well, there was there was something very self-involved about that, um, and the, there's there's that scene where she's she's brought back into the father's house, and we come to realise that he he was being very selfless in in giving her this this show mm. this this house, um, and he there's something very very loving about the way he treats her, and that he will be angry at her for everyday things um but for the real real big things that you could be really angry about someone for a long time like burning down a house it's just like well that's the way it is she's going to mm. be a kid okay i will be angry i'm going to be angry at her briefly because i i've i've lost her and i'm i'm scared for her in this inferno but Ultimately, yeah, whatever. It's a house. It's fixable. It's property. It property doesn't matter to me. What yeah. matters to me is this person. Well, I think I I would agree with that. I think that one thing that struck me at the end of the film is that the very much the film is kind of a hush puppy's growth into some sort of pseudo adulthood. Mm. At the start of the film, there's a lot about we talk about things being broken. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of destruction in the film of people, of relationships, of physical items. And the start of the film is often said by Hush Puppy that if, if, if it's broken, it can be fixed. And that's the end goal, is to fix everything. And everything's happy again because it's fixed. And if anything is broken, it can be fixed back to how it was. Whereas the end of the film, you feel very much as we've come to terms with the fact that sometimes you can't put everything back in its place you can't put everything back as it was and it some d- things and can't it be fixed does, it doesn't matter that's yes. what you get to at the end you, it's her realization that n- not everything can be fixed but you know what that's life and yes. i understand that 
and you understand the journey and it isn't like the the idolization of this one part of her life this one, one snapshot of her life that you know that she's in love with and the idea of her mum coming back and all that kind of thing she's sort of hanging on to this idea of things will go back to how they were mm. and by the end you feel that she's gone through that childhood journey that we all go through to go to point you know what that isn't coming back things are going to change sometimes for the worse sometimes for the better but you've got to keep going with it and i think that along with that the film very much starts off as the adults and hush puppy mm. and hush puppy and her dad little unit so she feels sort of separate from a lot of the world whereas at the end without giving spoilers away the last shot of the film is very much she is part of that community she is mm. part of the wider world she stepped away from the shadow of being a daughter and a child into being i suppose a larger part of the larger world in this case the bathtub mm. um but i think that if that to me this i felt, felt like being a bit like it was the journey she was going on was that journey into adulthood in the way this film kind of handles it in the kind of mumblecore wandering camera surrealist way and there's a moment with the uh aurochs the aurochs 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 where there's a confrontation between her and them and that to me felt like the moment in which you faced up to the real world Mm. or faced up to impending adulthood or the idea that of self selflessness possibly Mm. i felt as well that you're right, there is something, the, the film is doing something with that moment with, with the Oroxes, or whatever the plural of Oroxes. Um, but also you have that moment with the uh, the chef in um, Elysian Fields, the, the club that, that the boat takes her to towards mm-hmm. the end. Um, and you, had, you very much had a realisation that, that goes on in, in Hush Puppy's mind that oh, right, I understand my place in the world and I understand what I've got to go and do and who I've got to go and be with now. Mm. So it felt, in a way, it felt that this this sort of moment with the Oryxes didn't really matter because that moment of realisation had already happened. That that crisis point in, 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 her, in her head had, had already, already come to pass. Yeah, I think that the... The moment with the Urochs, 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 was the manifestation of that call to action. Yes, yeah, exactly. That she she, she made the choice, made the realization there. Then with the rest of the girls came back to the bathtub and then put that realization into action mm. with that confrontation. Some something else I wanted to talk about is the way that she views, it, and this this might be um, might be going. And going back a little to her, her perspective before that realization, but she views humans as animals, um, and it's something you get several times. And it's actually it's not just her; it's, you get it with with the father telling her to beast it, which is mm. his his way of saying she should be consuming food in a certain way. Um, but it's also something you get in in Hush Puppy's language. Um, she describes uh, sort of a, a holding cell in a hospital as looking like a fish tank with no water. Yes, um, and she says when an animal gets sick, and she's obviously she is talking about humans because there's there's a there's a, 
as an injured person in shock when she says that. But she, I and I don't know whether that this is something that she she grows out of. Um, I'm not sure about that, but she she very definitely sees humans as just another animal. Mm. I think I mean th- through the early scenes, certainly you get, you get the very much feeling that she has this deep connection to the earth. Um, you know, she she's very much feels like a child of of the ground that she's from. There's interactions with with the birds and the uh, and, and normal sized boars and that kind of stuff. And early on in the film, you get the feeling that she's very much she sees herself and lives her life as part of the environment she's in mm. um, and I, once again going back to the allegory of I don't know what they're trying to say but the early scenes are very much they're in the overground woodland there aren't any kind of roads it's just kind of higgledy-piggledy kind of land the very last shot is them walking clearly down a road mm. and that to me once again felt important but i wasn't sure what for um because i didn't want to think they were kind of stepping away from that childhood fantasy life you're living beforehand but maybe that's it maybe they're trying to sort of say she lived in this fantasy bubble as a kid and now she's come to terms with the fact that that isn't always the case mm. also to, to back up this idea of um it's sort of a, a vagueness about what this is about the the title of the film and i'm I wasn't sure, and I'm still not sure what it refers to, the beasts of the southern wild, and whether it's talking about... Um, it could be talking about three things. It could be talking about the the auroxes you get, you, these these medieval creatures, or it could be talking about the, the humans, this relationship between the animal and the human, or it could very literally be talking about the animals around them, and you have mm. the... Are the animals they keep domestically, or the wild animals, so the alligator, um, and that turns it turns into food later on. But and I wasn't sure what this this phrase "beast of the southern wild" was talking about, and I quite like the fact that I didn't know. That mm. that was quite there was something quite comforting for me about this. That that would be, from from what is a, a very traumatic and um, and. and by no means an easy film to watch. It was nevertheless comforting, and that would be my response to this film in general, if I have to mm. describe it in one word. So, Sam, having watched the film, what are your recommendations for further reading this week? Right. Well, I have two recommendations. Uh, one of them is uh, n- not a film, but we've done this before. Um, so after finishing The Wire, um, David Simon moved on to uh, post Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans um, with the TV series Treme. Treme, I believe it's pronounced. Oh, fine, I don't know. I, mean... <laughs> <laughs> I believe. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'm just going to, I'll just carry on saying convention A. Wallace then. Sure. Uh, um, so Treme, fine, okay. Um, David Simon, Treme, um, and there are some very interesting things this this series has to say about uh, the relationship between um, humans and nature, and um, humans and other humans, um, and there are some. Uh, it has interesting things to say about the relational, the relational. Well, that that was interesting. 
racial relationship. Um, mm. I've just invented a new word. Um, the racial relationships that get thrown into relief by the event of Hurricane Katrina, and that's something I think also is being discussed in this film, however obliquely. Um, and my second one would be, um, I think, possibly from the same year as the beginning of Jemé, um, where the wild things are from two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, and that came to this came to mind actually as you were speaking about um, the this sort of relationship between um, a child's perspective and and the way it was presented on screen. Um, something very fantastical, but also very moving about about where the wild things are, um, as well as as well as this film. Um, so that that would be my my other recommendation for this week because that's a brilliant film. You should go out and watch that. Excellent. I'm going to bring my tea this week, and for once we haven't overlapped, which is good. So my first recommendation is. I'll start with the, the, the more tenuous one first of all. Um, a film called Stand By Me. Now, this is quite a well-known film. It's from 1986. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of four four friends who go on a, a not a road trip, but a walking trip to see a dead body. And it's all about them bonding and coming to terms with mortality and coming to terms with the idea that this snapshot of their lives isn't going to exist forever. And it's stars the uh, sort of tragic um, figure of River Phoenix um, but also Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman um, Jerry what's his name, Jerry Connell? Jerry Connell's the four friends but it's very much handles the same sort of ground of coming to terms with the, the death of innocence coming to terms with standing up for yourself and the idea of, of impending adulthood and uh, what that all means I really really like it and I, I would recommend it heartily for anyone who looking to that kind of literally, and I, I, don't, I don't ever want to kind of spe- feature sort of gendered recommendations, but very much about being growing up a boy and into becoming a man. Uh, I think this film is about that. Secondly, and much more visually and thematically similar, is The Tree of Life from 2011. It's like the year before Beast of the Southern World. Uh, it's a Terence Malick film. And it very much has a similar sort of visual vibe of beautiful drifting shots of nothing and everything at the same time. Oblique allegory. If you can skip past the really quite dodgy dinosaur scenes, it is a beautiful and wonderful film. Right. Which is a phrase I never thought I'd say. But it's it's wonderful film that kind of covers the life of a family when they the lost the innocence of a child and how that child grows up to deal with that. Um, and it's wonderful, but it has a weird decision choice to have a scene with some dinosaurs in it, and it really kind of kills a lot of the film that scene does. So it suffers because of that, but the other bits of that film are probably one of the best-looking films I've seen in a long time. It's, it's, it's once again, it's not a film where you'll sit down and get a, a, a rip-roaring adventure, a narrative's journey. Mm. It is contemplative, it is slow, but it is worth checking out. It's over two hours long, but it's worth checking out. Right then, um, next week. Yes, sir. Right, I have two films in mind. Now, I'm not going to 
spoil things for you, Rob, by telling what they are, but I would like you to pick one of them. One of them's from 2009 and one's from 2013. So I will talking? go from the one from 13. Right, okay. Then next week we'll be looking at a film which is close to Rob's heart um, and will no doubt offer him a multitude of opportunities for name-dropping. It is the one of the last films he, he worked on, I believe it is 2013's World War Z. World War Z. All right. Fair enough. Brad Pitt zombie film. Let's Good. do it. Right. So, guys, if you want to check us out online, you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. Or you can find me at Life underscore Academic. Or you can find me at Rob Kaiju. Come argue about films with us. Come tell us what you've watched. Come tell us how we're wrong. And mainly Rob. Yes, mainly me. And we'll see you guys next week. Oh, and by the way, don't forget to like us, recommend us, um, do your thing on, on iTunes or SoundCloud. It's very much appreciated. It very much is. See you next week. Bye. is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.